the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The story is told of a man who was driving down a country road one day and he saw a house on fire. So he slammed on his brakes and he went running over to, the, to another man who was standing on the front lawn looking at his house burn. And he was just looking there and he said, hey, don't you know your house is on fire? He said, I know it. Well, aren't you going to do anything about it? He said, I am. I'm praying for rain. There are many phantom Bible verses in use these days, statements that people think are in the Bible, but they are not. One example is the often used statement that God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Actually, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who made that phrase popular. At the other extreme are those who take such an extreme view of God's sovereignty that they fall into the trap of inactivity. Now that's not scripturally accurate either. So how do we resolve this paradox? We will consider that today on Verse by Verse. Thank you for joining us as we dig into Chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is guiding us through these verses, helping us to not only understand them, but to make practical application of them into our own lives. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are pleased to be able to make his expository messages available to you. Our subject in this series of lessons is church unity. Paul had some helpful principles for the Philippians to help them resolve some difficulties they were experiencing in this area, principles that will help us to achieve and maintain harmony in our own churches. He used the example set by the Lord Jesus to show us how we can get there. One aspect of Jesus that we need to emulate is His obedience to His Father. We will begin our lesson today at that point in Pastor Steve's message. Now, obedience is a serious matter. Christ went to the cross. He voluntarily laid his life. He said no one took it. He voluntarily laid down his life. But while Paul commands them to obey, notice he goes on in verse 12 to say, my beloved. He's not calling them to obey like um, a military leader. I saw on, on a news network recently about how the military is going through a, a change in exercise program and how they're getting the men and the women into, into aerobics. And they've taken their combat boots, and now they're into running shoes. And uh, they closed the, uh, the newscast by saying this. They said, in this exercise program, the instructor is always right. Well, Paul doesn't speak to them as you would uh, as a military commander. He doesn't just bark out orders. He, he tempers what he says with love, with love. So then, my beloved... The people I love, the people I care about, the people I long for, my beloved. See, Paul had a very special love relationship with the Philippians. 
very special. If you look back at chapter 1, I'll just remind you, he writes while he's in prison. You understand he's writing this from a prison. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He says in verse 7, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you. I have you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness. I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. They cared about him. They sent him a love offering uh, more than once. They sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus to search Paul out in Rome and to express their great concern for him. So there was a unique love bond between Paul and the Philippians. So when he says, my beloved, he's not just saying words that are meaningless to him. They held a special place in his heart. But that can be a problem. That can be a serious problem. They love Paul so much that they would do anything for Paul. Now, we might say, well, isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful, but it's also dangerous, very dangerous. It can lead to being a man-pleaser. It, it can lead to an over-dependency upon a spiritual leader, and we have certainly have seen this in our generation. We've certainly seen this. It can lead to following a man and not Christ. It can lead to the worship of a man, to idolatry, to do anything that this man says, even if it's not right. And there is a suggestion of this back in chapter 1, verse 27. Verse, chapter 1, verse 27, he writes, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or, watch, remain absent... I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, this suggests to me that they look too much to Paul, too much to Paul to help them in their spiritual growth. When Paul was with them, they had no trouble obeying him. But what he is saying in the suggestion in chapter 1, verse 27 is, I know that you obey me, you, you've obeyed me when I'm there, but I'm not there now. And so I'm telling you, in my absence, do this. There seems to be some doubt in Paul's mind whether they would follow through and obey when he wasn't around. And that is very serious. Did they need his presence to obey God? Do you need the presence of a spiritual leader to obey God? That's very, very dangerous. There are people who would do anything for their pastor. I know that. I understand that. But that can be dangerous if a pastor exploits you. And there are many men who do financially and in other ways. Very dangerous. You see, the real issue is obedience to God. And the principle is whether a a man is your pastor or not, or a spiritual leader, you ought to obey God. See, notice what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 12. Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now also much, but now much more in my absence. Paul is saying, you obeyed in my presence. I, I want you now, just like you obeyed in my presence, to obey in my absence. And that's the point here. Obey because it's right to obey God, not because I'm there. Now, when you have to say that, that tells me that there are some problems. That tells me that there are some problems. You see, it's relatively easy to obey when other people are watching us. Because there's some kind of pressure there. We don't want to look bad in their presence. We don't want them to be disappointed in us. But the real test of obedience is what do you do when you're alone? When there's no pressure. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. If I tell my children to clean up their room and I stand over them watching them, my presence will motivate them to clean up their room, especially if our well-known Ezo Wacker is nearby. 
And we have, I think, what, three? So they are, that is always nearby, somewhere. Uh, they will do it. I'm there. I'm watching over them. But the true test of their obedience is if I tell them to clean up their rooms and then I leave. That's the truth says. See, there's no pressure by my presence. They'll either, they'll either obey for the right reason or they'll be forced to disobey. You see, obedience to God is the issue. Obedience to God, not obedience for the sake of somebody else. And we all do this at times. We all want to look good. We, we don't want uh, someone to be disappointed in us. You see, this is why so many young people obey when they're at home, but then when they get away from home, they don't obey because their, real, their obedience was simply to please their parents, which is not totally wrong. But if it stops there, then it's wrong. They never really were interested and motivated to obey Christ. So when they're away from their parents, they don't have any obedience to Christ. You see, let me, let me apply it to what Paul is really getting at here in terms of unity. If a local church is to experience real unity and harmony, it can't be because their pastor is teaching out of Philippians chapter 2, and they only remember it during these weeks or because they don't want to upset their pastor, and, or, or because they don't want to think poorly, uh, have people think poorly of them, and so they want to look humble and appear humble and have that just kind of humble demeanor. You see, no, obedience goes beyond that. And I've seen this in my, in my uh, experience as a pastor. If I preach on something, I remember I preached on, uh, on taking care of widows, and for the first week or two, people were rushing out to help widows in the church. We don't sustain that obedience, though. When was the last time you helped a widow and someone didn't have to preach on it? You see, it's, it's issues like that. We can't just think of unity and, and humility of mind when we're going through Philippians. Obviously, that's, that's foremost in our thinking. But you can't just think about that and then move on to something else and forget that. You just build and build and build obedience in your, in your lives. Now, you see, obedience to the, to the truths of humility and servanthood has to be motivated by, by God to please Him and not to please man. And when your desire is to please God and not just to rush out and do it because it was preached from the pulpit and you don't want me being hurt or disappointed in you or others, then that's wrong. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says about you. It stems, true obedience stems from a desire to please the Lord, period. Period. So the question is, how obedient are you in private? When no one else is around, no one knows what you're doing, what is your heart dealing with? So specifically, we want to know what was it that Paul wanted them to do and obey while he was away. Notice verse 12. He says, but now much more in my absence. And here's what he wants them to do. Work out your salvation. Literally, it's work out your own salvation. Work out your salvation. Now, this phrase is troubling. Isn't it troubling? Work out your salvation? Why, I thought that salvation was a gift by God's grace, then uh, we cannot obey to, uh, to keep the law. Paul says in Romans 3 to the Jewish people who thought that, hey, we kept the law, we're okay. Paul says, no, no one's justified by keeping the law. Even your father Abraham didn't keep the law because the law was given 400 years later. So it's by, always by faith, faith. By grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But Paul, who also wrote Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, says here, Work out your salvation. Now that presents a real problem to people. We thought that salvation is not by works, but is he saying here that we are to work for our salvation? No. No. 
No, he's not saying that at all. Notice, first of all, he doesn't say work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. There's a difference between working for something and working out something. He's referring to something that's, that, that we already possess, not something that we have to work for. Do you understand the difference? Work out what you have rather than work for what you don't have. Secondly, these people were already believers. These people were already saved. These people were already forgiven. Philippians 1, 1, he calls them saints. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That means holy ones, set-apart ones, believers in essence. Chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. These were believers, citizens of heaven, just passing through on earth. Many people stumble over that statement by the Apostle Paul, working out our faith, if not considered carefully and in the context of the whole Bible in general and this passage in particular, certainly can seem like salvation by works. Clearly, it cannot mean that. Pastor Steve will be right back to help us wrap our minds around it. But first, we need to greet those of you who just tuned in. We're glad you joined us. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Here's Pastor Steve now to give us some insight into the Greek origins of this verse so that we can understand it and put it into practice. Now, what does Paul mean? Well, the Greek word that is translated work out, and it's one word in the Greek language, means literally to bring something to completion. Bring something to completion, to work to full completion, like we would say working out a problem in mathematics. I'm going to work this out until it's finished. Working out to completion. Now, we're given insight into this, into this word because 60 years before our Lord Jesus was on earth, uh, we have some, some Greek writings that use this word. And, and two times this word is used, which gives us insight into uh, how the language of the day used this word. The first way it was used was of working out a mine, M-I-N-E, a mine. In other words, extracting out the minerals that are in the mine, taking out what has already been in there. This other time it is used, it is used of working a field so as to get the greatest harvest possible. The word then means that I am to mine out or harvest out of my life what God has already deposited in my life in salvation. In other words, work out what God has already planted within you. Bring it out. Bring it out to completion. The thought is this. Work out in daily conduct what God has already put into you. Put into practice what God has put in you by his spirit. Very simply put, it means make every effort to live a holy life. What has God put into us? He's put into us his spirit, a divine nature. He's put into us Christ's likeness. You don't have to just try to be like Christ. Christ lives within you by the spirit of God. When Paul says work out your salvation, what he means is bring out Christ's likeness, humility, lowliness of mind, obedience. It's there. No one wants to hear that because then you've got to live up to that. You're always a disappointment if you don't live up to that. The worst thing you can hear to be to be told that you have potential. Because that means you haven't arrived. When you arrive, they don't tell you you have potential. It's only when you don't live up to it, they tell you you have potential. And in the Christian life, the difference is that you and I not only have the potential, but we can live up to that potential of humility and obedience of, of mind. Paul's thought is this, work out holiness in your life. 
by every effort, bring out what God has already put in there. He's not working for salvation. He's saying salvation is within you. Now bring it out. And the principle that we need to see is that obedience takes human effort. Effort. It takes work on our parts. And this is very important for you to understand. There is, in my opinion, a false view of spiritual growth in the Christian life. Years ago, it was uh, called the quietist view. I don't know if we call it that now, because what this view says is that just let go and let God. You've heard that. I've heard that. Deeper life conferences. Let go and let God. It calls Christians to simply surrender to God and be passive as God works through you. Now, there's some great truth to that. But taken to its extreme, and it has been, it leads to passivity. It leads to passivity that results in the believer sitting back and doing absolutely nothing. Let God do it all. You see, ultimately, if the Lord is held responsible because I've surrendered to him, I've laid my life on the altar and I do nothing and I have no responsibility, it's God's job to do it all. Now, if you have not been exposed to that, you will. You will. Books written by, by people, many, maybe some of you here hold to that view. Just sort of sit back and do nothing. Well, the story is told of a man who was driving down a country road one day, and he saw a house on fire. So he slammed on his brakes, and he went running over to, the, to another man who was standing on the front lawn looking at his house burn. And he was just looking there, and he said, Hey, don't you know your house is on fire? He said, I know it. Well, aren't you going to do anything about it? He said, I am. I'm praying for rain. Now, listen, we can laugh at that, and we can say that is absurd. But that's somewhat what we do in the Christian life. In fact, I heard the story of D.L. Moody being on a sinking ship. And uh, somebody said to him, uh, same concept here, but we'll just put it in the spiritual realm, of, of a real-life figure. Aren't you going to go downstairs and call a prayer meeting? He said, no. I'm going to pray while I take a bucket of water and, and get the water out of here. There is a passivity that many, many Christians have. They just let go and let God. Now, there are a lot of Christians who approach obedience that way. I'm praying about it. I'm waiting on God. I'm yielded. But the Bible teaches that while it's right to be yielded to the Lord, certainly right to be yielded to him, certainly right to be surrendered, we still need to be aggressive and disciplined in carrying out the commands of God. And there is a balance. I want you to understand what verse 12 is saying. You work out your salvation. God's not going to do it. You are going to do it, or it's not going to get done. If you don't think the Christian life is one of discipline and one of aggression, then, then I want you to just hear these verses. In fact, if you do think it is, you still should hear it. First, uh, first Timothy chapter one, uh, chapter six, rather, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Same kind. You lay hold of that eternal life. Second, the eternal life you already possess. Second Corinthians chapter 7. You don't need to turn there. You might want to write these down and you're taking notes. Second Corinthians 7 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilements of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Does that sound like God is going to do it? No. We are to do it. Hebrews chapter 12. I read from this in the pastoral prayer, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which is so easily entangles us and let us run with, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Is God going to run the race for us? No. 
God's not going to. He said, you do it. You strip down is what he's saying. You take off all the extra baggage. I understand that. The first race that I ran as an adult a few months ago, it was raining, and so I kept on a sweatshirt and sweatpants and carried about 15 pounds of extra baggage. I understand why the writer said this. But God is not going to do it. We run the race. But I guess the best passage that brings us out is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is just insight into how to be obedient, living the Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It takes discipline, and I find that this is a generation that knows very little about discipline. We're not disciplined in what we uh, read. We're not disciplined in what we watch on television. We're not disciplined in what we eat. We're not disciplined in exercise. When you carry that over into the spiritual realm, we're just not disciplined. If it feels good, we do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Now, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. That is effort, struggle, strive. And everyone who who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, discipline. If you're going to run in the race, you have to discipline, you have to train for it. Paul is saying the Christian life is just like that. It's a discipline. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I mean, runners just run in the Olympics to get a gold medal or a wreath or a little prize at the end. So what? But we run, he says, to get an an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. When you run, you run towards the finish line. At least I do. may take me a while to get there, but I try. He says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. Paul says, I'm not a shadow boxer. I don't just I don't just box at the air. And notice what he says in verse 27, but I buffet my body. I make it my slave. You know what he means? I give myself a black eye. If discipline means punching myself, I do that. I get violent with, my, with myself. I'm, I have effort. Less possibly after I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says, I don't want to be put on a shelf. I don't want to be a spiritual dropout because of a lack of discipline in my in my life. Now, does that sound like a uh, a passive view of the Christian life? No, it doesn't, because it's not. There's aggressiveness to, that that we need to use to work out our salvation. And and notice back to Philippians two. This must be done with the right attitude. He, he says, "Work out your salvation with fear and with." Trembling. It simply means with awe and a sense of responsibility. That is to say, a holy fear and trembling because we realize our own weakness in God's holiness and we have to have a deep passion to please Christ by obeying God. It's with passion. Be aggressive with passion. Not because you are, uh, you are trembling in the corner because you're afraid of God, but no. Uh, the word is used in 2 Corinthians 7.15 of Titus coming to the Corinthians and it says they received him with fear and trembling. Because they loved Titus so much, they couldn't please him enough. That's the thought. Work out your salvation. As we have clearly seen, salvation does not come from work, but it certainly leads to work. It's not drudgery, though. It is a joyful obedience to the one who has saved us and loves us supremely. It has been a pleasure to have you in class with us today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he has been serving in that role since 1981. Now his practical and expository messages come to your radio and your web browser through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are thankful for the gifts and prayers of those who help keep these daily Bible classes on the air. 
Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. You will find today's lesson right there. We also have many of Pastor Steve's previous lessons on the archives page. Please feel free to download them to your MP3 player or just listen online. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the middle part of a three-part message titled, The Obedience of Unity. It's part of a series of messages concerning church unity. To hear the entire message at once, you can order an audio CD. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will get back to you during regular office hours. That number again, 727 727- 4411714 The Christian life is not an aesthetic life of contemplation. Absolutely, we must read the Bible and meditate on it. But we also have to put into practice what we read. One of my college professors said that Christians should die totally spent, used up. She said we ought to exert ourselves in the expression of our faith and obedience. That's not to say we serve the Lord in our own strength, but that we serve Him with all the energy He has given us. As we will see in the next verse by verse, that often means doing things we might not feel like doing, and it's another ingredient to church unity. This is Peter Silseth saying, please join us next time as Pastor Steve considers the need for spiritual discipline. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.